before I got out because yeah it's sort of a lot a lot of people don't and that sucks you know and that's really down to having a caring family who you know loved me and despite a lot of it that's Nathan Thompson and this is birth podcast I'm Ash welcome back we're gonna jump right back into Nathan's journey into recovery from substance abuse and addiction and how a path of Buddhism has created a wholeness and practice within him that he values today let's listen was there a singular wake-up call? Because I know it took some time for you to finally get to the point you are now, but do you feel like there was a final blow maybe to your own psyche that uh, pushed you forward in a much better way? Um, I mean, I suppose there's two things spring to mind. I'll probably say both of them because they're sequential. The first bit is rehab. So I went to a like a hardcore, old-school type 12-step rehab. Um, so you did like group therapy. It was a, um, what do you call it, a residential one. And it was a one in the north of England. And they took private clients and public clients, like publicly funded clients. So it was a crazy mix of like people like me and, you know, my parents were middle class, so they were able to afford the fees. And then you had guys straight out of prison or guys who were on the streets the week before, you know. So um, it was a pretty crazy place. Um, anyway... Um, I went through their treatment program and what I don't know exactly what the precise turning point was, but um, see, I went back to using drugs quite quickly after it, but the effect it had was it ruined the experience of taking drugs because it opened my eyes to the, to what I was actually doing to myself and my family. I thought I was living some rock star lifestyle. And I think like a lot of like young idiotic men um who are into writing we think that if we just take enough drugs we might write like william burroughs or something i know i had that delusion and i don't know if you're a young man and you're into writing uh drugs did not help no um it's yeah not a good idea anyway but maybe i, th I used to think <laughs> that um so anyway basically they broke all that delusion so then when i went back to using afterwards i was never able to like make it work in the same way i always felt like it just wasn't the same you know it you know it, it just didn't feel as good but then the story of how i last the last time i ever used heroin is a weird one because i sort of just used less and less over time it just went down over time and the final year i like remember i like used two or three times in the first six months and then like once or twice and anyway it was November and I hadn't used for three months which was the longest time I'd ever been since I started using it and I was living I was living in Wales which is a rural part of Britain and I'd gone to London to see some friends so I was walking in through London where I used to live and I was walking through the very place where I used to score off my dealer in central London, a place called Euston. And I didn't really feel like using, I was a bit like, oh, this is weird. This is the place where I used to come and score. How about that? And then I swear, the second I thought that, I got an SMS message from the dealer and I hadn't heard from him for months, you know, and it was just a standard um, marketing text that they always used to send out saying, oh, I've got the best gear, 10 out of 10, peng, peng. So peng is London slang for good, right? And, you know, obviously it wasn't 10 out of 10 gear. They just said that. And everyone knew it wasn't, but it was enough to make you pick up the phone if you were addicted for sure. Anyway, so I get this message and I start thinking like, okay, that's weird. So if I was, say, thinking of an old friend who I hadn't spoken to for months and I got a message that instant from that friend, everyone would say, ah, oh, well, that's the universe telling you 
you should call that friend, yeah? So I'm like, is the universe telling me to score smack here? Like, is that how the universe works? It's not really kind of in line with the new age Aquarian philosophy here. But anyway, um, it just sort of set the cogs wearing. And before the day was done, I had called him and got a bag. And uh, yeah, I got high for three straight days and had a shit time. You had gone to Thailand and you had an interesting experience where you wanted to do a story, but the only way kind of into the story was to actually experience the, the, um, the cleanse method mm. for which the monks were using to help people, a lot of people who happened to be addicts. And I remember you, you, you writing about a, a particular, I think, a Russian man who ended up staying on as a monk at the place. Um, I would love for you to, to share because that seemed like a really significant point for you where you went in to kind of just get a story because you had an interest, but it ended up being a part, the story ends up being a participant in your sort of healing journey from, you know, from the drugs and, and alcohol and, and just sort of the addictive lifestyle that you had been living, even if it had been some time since you had used. Yeah, that's a good, good point. Cause that was important. Um, because, yeah, like I moved to Cambodia about three months after I used heroin for the last time and I ended up staying there and becoming a journalist and all this stuff. And I met my meditation teacher there and I started working with her um, sort of regularly. And, um, yeah, but I was still kind of acting out. I wasn't actually, I wasn't as, like super bad like I was before. I was a functional human, let's say. But I was still acting out in terms of like, you know, going out and drinking and trying to shag, you know, whoever I could get. And a very occasionally I would still take some drugs, maybe like if I was really drunk. Um, so, you know, it was, it, it was an improvement, but it wasn't great either. So anyway, um, I go to visit this Wat Tam Krabok, which is the famous vomiting temple of in uh, Thailand, where they detox alcoholics by um, having them drink this purgative brew made of 108 herbs and it makes you vomit and this is purging yourself of the addiction they believe but I still wanted to take the purgative um, as part of the story and I did and you know it wasn't anything special I mean I threw up and you know had a big hot steam bath and felt a bit lightheaded afterwards and I went back to the room where I was sleeping and that was that. But in order to take the purgative, I had to actually have a ceremony with the abbot of the monastery. Now, they don't let you take the purgative unless you take a vow. And the vows are usually to stop using drugs or alcohol for X period of time. So because, you know, I wasn't in a bad place, I took the easiest level vow, which was one year. So I did this sort of chanting thing with the abbot where I had to sort of like, you know, sit down on the floor and he was in the chair in front of me, but he was a super nice guy, you know, smiley and that didn't speak much English, but he did the chanting and I did my best to sort of take it seriously. And he gave me a little mantra on a little bit of paper and he'd drawn like a tiny little flower next to it, which was really sweet. And you're supposed to say the mantra if you ever get cravings, that's the idea. Um, so I wasn't really planning to follow his you know, advice. I was just doing it as a kind of tick box to get to the place where I needed so I could take the, the purgative. 
but when I got back to Phnom Penh in Cambodia where I was living after doing the story I went you know had a meeting with my meditation teacher and I told her about that and I was like I think maybe I should take it seriously maybe I should try not drinking for a year and she was like super encouraging and really helped me uh, to achieve that and you see it wasn't just the not drinking see it was actually it became me taking the five Buddhist precepts uh, on as a practice a personal practice and committing to them what um, are those? My, so the five Buddhist precepts are no killing no stealing no sexual misconduct no lying no taking intoxicants see I'd been practicing Buddhism for a couple of years by that point but I'd never formally taken the five precepts because of the final one about not taking intoxicants but now you know, I was committing to one year of not drinking. So that was kind of the final piece of the puzzle. So then I was able to practice all five properly. So I was able to, like, on a daily basis, say, okay, am I killing anything? Am I lying? Am I stealing? Am I, you know, acting out? So the, the sexual misconduct was uh, yeah, clarified for me. Yeah, it's clarified as using sexual energy to harm. So at that point, if ever I had a sexual encounter, I'd be thinking carefully. I'd be like, okay, is anyone getting harmed from this? Am I harming myself? Am I harming this person through this act? And that was a really good meditation. And like, I would definitely recommend it to anyone who, I don't know, is sexually active. You know, it's, it's worth thinking about. So anyway, I started, so it wasn't just not drinking. It was the five precepts. And anyway, by the end of the year, I realized I was way happier and way more functional than I'd ever been. And I knew that, yeah, practicing the five precepts was a key part of that with the support of my teacher. Like I've been 100% sober since that time, which was, I think it's 2014, I want to say. Amazing. Maybe 2015. What do you feel has been maybe spiritually some of the, you know, maybe one or two takeaways that, that, that are part of your sort of maybe everyday practice or your everyday life um, that you feel like you continue to apply to yourself, you know, in a deeper and more meaningful way? I mean, I mean, physical yoga is definitely up there. I got to emphasize the five precepts again, because it's not super sexy, you know, to think about like living by a moral code, but like it really is like so much deeper than that because it becomes a meditation, like a daily meditation where everything you do in your day you can think about in terms of these things and you can get super deep with it or super shallow with it it doesn't matter you could just be like you can i know like just say on one level oh i didn't kill anything today so thumbs up for me right but then you can get super deep with it you can get all into well should i be vegetarian should i be vegan or like how is my actions you know affecting the structures that may end up causing violence in you know, some poorer place, right? Tunes the mind to be ethically sensitive. And the result of becoming ethically sensitive is that you, well, in the Buddhist text, it will tell you it gives you um, a type of peace. Buddhism is, is ultimately about an answer to suffering. And for someone like myself who had a lot of suffering, like that was obviously a good fit, you know? So for some people, you know, it won't resonate with them on that level. Um, so just knowing that there is a method, I mean, it sounds kind of, the problem is it's easy to misconstrue it as if I say, hi, I just want to get out of suffering, 
right? People say, oh, well, that's selfish. But, but you know, for you to exist in, say you're, you have the most perfect life in the world, right? If your neighbor is suffering, then you too are suffering, right? So to say I want to get out of suffering is actually to say I want to work for peace and justice and harmony in the world. Do you know what I mean? Because you can't really have your own happiness without other people having happiness. So that's a long way of saying that's just something I find in, inspiring. Do you feel that more needs to be done on maybe, especially in the Western world, uh, to help address um, addiction in a better way? People have started to realize that people need compassion, but compassion, genuine compassion is not in very quick supply in this world and the way society is structured doesn't really allow for the development of true compassion as much as it could do so in terms of what more could be done I think it's a structural issue perhaps you know because you've got this whole social media thing where people are you know so let's say social media and reality television reality television encourages you to look at people who have issues as entertainment right so it's sort of there's that and there's also this whole social media thing where you can post comments completely divorced from the person or issue you're talking about and you can do it anonymously so I'm not saying that society is less compassionate but I'm just saying there's a lot of forces that are encouraging us to see humans as I don't know entertainment or adversaries or something right and I don't see the same amount of time and effort being put into teaching people to be compassionate. What would you say to someone today who is maybe maybe they're still fully in their addiction, maybe they're trying to come out of their addiction, but as someone who's a Buddhist and someone who has taken a path of enlightening your soul and someone who whose who's writing has even shifted from, you know, being the cool writer who gets high to someone who understands sort of pain and purpose. You know, what would you say to somebody who's, who's maybe in a similar position? Um, I would say you're not a bad person, you know. And I, and I would also say I understand that you're not doing what you do because you're a bad person. I know it's because you're in pain. So many of us are in pain. And we may use addiction to cope with it, to hide it. But if we can create a society where vulnerability becomes a value and give each other permission to be visible, to give each other permission to show shame, we might have an opportunity to heal and find practices and a sense of healing and wholeness within ourselves, within our families, our friend groups, our communities, and ultimately our greater society. But it takes time. It takes mercy. And it takes effort and support. I hope that this conversation encouraged you. I would love to have your feedback and hear how you were impacted by Nathan's story. And if you want to follow Nathan or me on Instagram, I'll put our handles in the description box. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. For now, I'll leave you there to live and move and have your being. Cheers.